Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary's Triyazaki, the podcast about trees and other related topics, and the films of Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. My name is Alex Croson. Alex, I'm Casey Clapp. Wow. I just heard you say Ghibli. Well, let's talk about it, please. Let's, let's. I'm so, <laughs> did you do, did you, did you have to look into this? Is it pronounced Jinko or Ginko? <laughs> Jinko. Like yeah. The, like the pants. Yeah, is that a thing? I think that's a type of pant. Oh, wow. Um, but, okay, so I was watching an interview in, in the ever unfolding research that is happening for this project. Mm-hmm. I was watching an interview with Miyazaki-san. Yeah. Or is it Hayo-san? I think it's Miyazaki-san. I, I think it's last. You're the one who did the research. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was in Japanese as he speaks. Okay, this is so far tracks. And I heard him say, Ghibli. So I think wow. from the horse's mouth, I'm sorry, that's disrespectful. I believe it's Ghibli. Interesting. We've been doing it wrong this whole time. We have been. Wow. So I'm going to go back and edit. We need to get a yeah. clean version of you saying Ghibli and me saying Ghibli. I'm going to go okay. back and okay. edit every single time we say yeah. it. Let's let's do it right now. Okay, go for it. Ghibli. Perfect. And now I'll do it as if I'm saying it. Ghibli. Nice. Ghibli. <laughs> got a couple, got a couple yeah. in there? So you yeah, can yeah. Use it? Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. yeah, you're welcome. Um, I'll do mine. Ghibli. Um, Ghibli. And then one more. Ghibli! Wow, yeah, I remember when you said that the, in, the, in the show where you were like, Ghibli! And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Casey, today we are talking the Japanese fur... That's right, we are. And more broadly, we're talking about the film Nausicaa of mm-hmm. the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. Hey, how, real quick, how do you pronounce the thing that cut off all the heads of the French nobles during the revolution? I call that a guillotine. Yes. Okay, thank you. Me too. Do you say a guillotine? I do. I do. No, I say, I say, I say gelatine. A gelatine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I say gelatin. <laughs> oh, the gelatin. Well, I can just cut through that with my fork. Can I cut your head off? Pathetic. They, they drowned all the nobles in uh, <laughs> vats of jello. They couldn't eat it out. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes, today we're talking Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Uh, I will say for this series, kind of a sleeper hit. Oh, you think so? Uh, I, I think so. It's, it's a, I don't, I, I haven't seen uh, the next one that we're going to be watching, which is Princess Mononoke. Right. But 
I will say between the first two, Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro, mm-hmm. this is different. This one's quite a bit different. This is quite a bit different. I can't wait to talk about the differences. I can't wait to talk about everything about it. I will give a little bit of a tease. It's actually a pretty big tease. Mm-hmm. My favorite so far. Which is amazing to me. I did not, I would not have guessed that. I know. I would me not either. have guessed that. Me How, either. Yeah, I'll give you a quick tease as well. This is probably the quintessential example of the the movies that when I was younger, mm-hmm. I would see this on, on TV and I'd look at it and be like, oh, I, I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> I don't know why. Like this and like yeah. Pokemon, I was just like against it. Like not... There was no, I was not hurt. They did not, I did not have any trauma. I was just <laughs> sure. like, everyone was like, hey, I'm into Pokemon. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, Pokemon sucks. I'm not. Well, yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I think I probably felt the same way until a handful of years ago. Casey. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're all learning. I, I enjoyed it. I, today is an adult watching it, uh, with my, uh, how should I say, Mm, learned I. Oh, wow. Yeah, there we go. Your cultured framework. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. I, someone finally noticed. <laughs> and to talk about this film, because we have to talk about a tree every episode, we're talking about the Japanese fur. That's right. Otherwise known as uh, the momi fur, which if you are in Japanese and also speak English, you would know that that means the fur fur cute yeah because it's just uh it's just that momi is the japanese term for fur so is in the, f-i-r it's the fur fur yeah it's the fur 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 mm-hmm. can i take a stab at the uh, uh latin name for this uh, one yeah sure is it ab's japonica no it's All not right. it's a good guess though this is actually ab's firma wow yeah and honestly i don't know for sure but i believe that it is in reference to uh having stiff needles but i during our intense break we'll figure that out all right. <laughs> I love I love a little on-the-fly research, Casey. Yeah, isn't it great? That's what I, that's what I do. Well, Casey, uh, before we do that, we're here to remind you once again that we are moving away from Patreon. That's right. In favor of our brand new support platform, Completely Arbitrary Tremium. Tremium. Yes, and that can be found at arbitrarypod.supercast.com. That's right. You can also go to any place on the internet that has something to do with us, and there will be a link probably. Yes, it is our new support platform. We have bonus episodes and bonus audio content. Mm -hmm. We've got live streams on there. We've got monthly cone stickers. We've got ad-free listening for the first time ever. That's right. Right in your podcast player of choice. Yes, you don't need to switch back and forth through different applications. That's right. All one spot. And if you already subscribe to our Patreon, go to arbitrarypod.supercast.com slash patreons mm-hmm. you've also been sent a link to the email that you use to sign up for patreon and there's a migration tool that you will be that you will use and, and be grandfathered into your patreon price we've really slimmed things down casey we've consolidated we've adjusted for inflation yeah and we feel really good about it i, I feel i feel uh, immensely less stressed than i do running a patreon yeah that's good that's it's it's helpful on all sides i think yeah so hopefully it's gonna be great so go sign up if you're interested you can also gift subscriptions that's right uh at this time of year people tend to give gifts a lot mm-hmm. so take advantage of this if you have that tree person in your life and you're just thinking, man, I just want to give them a cone every single month for the next year or two. You know, Casey, uh, this is 
I'm removing myself from the the co-host yeah, role okay. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just this is just this is just Alex talking right. Yes, to you. I think objectively, as a tr- as a person who is interested in trees or nature, I would be so fucking stoked to get a gifted subscription to completely arbitrary premium. Yes. I would also like open up that package and then everyone's like, yeah, look, you're going to get sweet cones. I'd be like, yes, yes. thank you. <laughs> hey, we know what to get Casey this year. Uh, yeah, please do. Uh, my, uh, just, yeah, send it my way. <laughs> uh, and Casey, in addition to that, we have so much going on here. Yes, we Completely do. arbitrary. We also have a December sale. Our very, <laughs> very cleverly named uh, holiday themed sale. <laughs> is going on right now at completely Ar- at is going on right now at arbitrarypod.com slash merch. That's right. Get yourself a t-shirt. What you got to say? Uh, I was just going to say we have three different t-shirts available and they're all amazing. That's right. Get one of each. And uh, Casey, all you got to do is use the coupon code, the discount code TREES, mm-hmm. T-R-E-E-S we for really- 15% off the entire catalog of merch we have on our website. It's a great way to uh, support the podcast and give something to the tree lover in your life. Exactly. So go find that now. (laughs) And right now, we're also going to take a break. We will be right back with the Japanese fur and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind here on Completely Arbitrary's Triyazaki. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary's Triyazaki. Today we are talking Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. That's right. And we are talking the Japanese fur. How exciting. It's very exciting. I have also other exciting news. What is your other? Oh, a follow-up. The scientific name yes. is Abies firma, firma, which means strong. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just so you know, I successfully researched this. Nice. The 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 uh, the Chekhov's gun has been fired. Uh, a little yes. early. Yes, we did. We did. We yeah. It did come out a little early. So sorry, everyone. You can end here. This is all we got. No, 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 no. Casey, let's imagine that you and I are walking through a Japanese fur forest. How about that? Oh, that sounds delightful. And we come across some of these Japanese fur because they're absolutely all around us. They are everywhere. Let's ID this tree. All right, Alex. Now, the first thing to note is that we are not walking through a fur forest. It actually happens that this species tends to grow with a lot of other friends. You're not going to very often find it 
as like a like Douglas fir out here. Yeah, you see forests and forests of nothing but one species. Yeah, what do you call it? Monoculture. Yeah, well, it's a monoculture when you plant them like mm. that, which a lot of these are. They have been planted as Douglas fir, but it also is a tree that comes in generally after disturbance. So you can get a natural native forest that has ninety percent one species here. Okay. Uh, in this case, for our Japanese fir, it does not tend to do that. It uh, grows with a lot of friends. In fact, I will name its friends. Abies homeolepsis, mm. Camiciparis obtusa, and Abies homeolepsis is another Japanese species of fir tree. Oh. Camiciparis obtusa, we call the Hinoki cypress. No uh, spoilers here, oh. by the way. Yep, moving on. Cryptomeria japonica, which you know is a cryptomeria. That's right, sugi. Uh, sugi. Pinus parvifolia, which is the Japanese pine, mm. as well as the Japanese black pine, Pinus densiflora. Wow. Here's a fun one. Pseudosuga japonica. Hey. Yes. Cydopides verticillata, which is the Kaomaki. The Toria nucifera, which is a kind of, uh, we in California, there's another species, it's called Toria californica, mm. and that they call the California nutmeg. Okay. So that's another conifer. It's in the U family, actually. Oh. Uh, and then Suga sibaldii, which is a species of hemlock. Interesting. Then we have Carpinus laxifolia, oh Castanea cretata, Fagus cranata, Fagus japonica, and Quercus species. It's like Game of Thrones. I can't keep up with all these characters. There's so many. Like wow. it's this it's this really interesting forest. And I kind of bring this up to give a give a little quick uh kind of context about the conifers of Japan okay. versus the conifers of Western North America specifically. Mm. So Abies, as the whole group of fur, probably evolved right here in North America, probably in California. Okay. There are many different species. If you go from Mexico in Central America, all the way up to Alaska, there are probably something like 20 or more species of true firs, abies, wow. that grow in that area. If you then go to the other side, you just go right over what used to be the Bering Land Bridge, yeah. Beringia, and you start going down, you find that there are also like 10 or so species of true fir that are growing in that area, in China, in Japan, Korea, that section. This is 10 additional species? Yes, yeah. Okay. At least 10. Probably if we go all the way just a little bit over, you start going to like the Himalayas and through China. I'm not sure the exact ranges of all these, so I can't give you 100%. Okay. But... Right along that coast, what they used to call, what is it, the Pacific Rim, mm -hmm. uh, the conifers on either side are, are buddies. Like, they're all the same, like, kind of closely related species okay. that crossed over when the Bering Land Bridge existed. Yeah. That which and, is now the Bering Sea. Exactly, which is now a giant sea. They, uh, they crossed over speciated all this area and then now the sea's up and now they've just been on their own for a long time okay we have sort of this horseshoe shape of yeah, abies exactly right in the northern hemisphere where the the pacific ring is what they call it, the ring of fires what yes. they termed a lot it's basically you have this giant pacific ocean plate and you have these other plates on either side in asia and north america mm. and they would create all these volcanoes they also just because of the ocean have this really like nice moderate temperature so they're cool they're moist, and mm. they're also on what tend to be tall, mountainish areas. So if I went to Japan, and I do want to talk about the Japanese fur, but yeah. I am curious. If I went to Japan and went into one of these forests, uh -huh. would I feel at home 
as a Pacific Northwesterner? Yes, I think you would. Yeah. Okay. Because it has, it's like, it's like going from Europe to Eastern North America with the broadleaf trees. Sure. This is like, um, you know, you watch the American version of The Office, you know? Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. Pam and Jim and Michael, then you watch the Japanese version. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And they all have different names, but they're playing basically the same characters. Yes. With, some, uh, with some regional, you know, uh, affixes yeah. to their, their character. It's so brilliant. I think that's a perfect example. Well, Casey, let's talk about the Japanese fur yes. now. Yes, let's dial in a little Abe's bit. Abe's firma. So Amy's firma is a giant tree. It grows like to 150 feet in its native Damn. area. Now I say giant in reference to it being the biggest or one of the bigger trees over there. Okay. You'll recall the camphor tree is the biggest broadleaf tree of yes. all the trees in Japan. This, I don't believe, is the biggest conifer, but it definitely uh, rubs shoulders with those tallest conifers okay. in Japan. I gotcha. So, about 150 feet high, but if you're in, uh, and that's about 45 meters, mm. if you're over in uh, the southeast United States, in fact, where it's often planted as a uh, horticultural species, mm. it only gets about 60 feet tall. So, it's not going to reach its maximum capacity outside of Japan. Okay. So, it's a bit of a shame, but pretty huge tree if you're in there. It's also a classic fir tree where it has that that uh, decurrent, where it has that excurrent growth form. Yes, meaning that one central leader, and then it has these like branches that come outwards, perfectly flat or upwards to about a twenty degree angle or so. Okay, so they kind of look very regimented the way firs do. And they'll maintain that triangular shape their entire life until they get very tippy top, where their tip starts to slow down the upwards growth, but the branches continue to grow outwards. So oh. it essentially grows from a, a perfectly f like formed triangle mm -hmm. to the triangle getting wider and wider and wider until it becomes almost a rounded top. Wow. Tree. So this can be, though, is interesting because it's made up of leaves that, Alex, mm. I am so happy to share have a characteristic i've never come across before wow so they are evergreen needle-like leaves that come out left and right from the sides of the twig now they come out left and right from the sides of the twig in what we call two rank and that's a term that i think we've used a few times mm. which essentially means that as they are as the leaves come out they essentially go in one plane to the left into the right okay. so they have one rank on the right side of the twig and one rank of needles on the left side of the twig as opposed to going like left right up and down yeah exactly okay. or like a bottle brush kind of thing yeah yeah that's all, what i was trying to think out. of yeah. okay yeah so that would be just there's you know that we just call it bottle brush kind of fashion it doesn't necessarily have a very distinct pattern okay but this does and the pattern is called pectinate pectinate yes it means like the tines of a comb wow and i'm sure that pectin comes from something else yeah but that's how they describe it. they say it means that the the needles come out very regimented in a form that looks as if they are the sides of a cone okay so they don't cross over they don't go up and down they're just in one perfect row coming out left right left right left right a whole way down interesting so uh, that is the first thing that I love, pectinate, which That's means comb-like. I love a new term. Yeah. The, the second one is each one of these individual leaves is bifid, B-I-F-I-D. Wow. We're full of new ones We're today. just so full of it. Bifid. Yes. Do you have any idea what that means? Two something. I yeah. Don't... Hey, well, great. that was a great start. <laughs> it means that they have two points. They have two tips 
at the end. If you Google the Japanese for Abies firma leaf, and you look closely at the very tip, there is on either side of the midrib of the leaf itself, there is a tiny little point. Do you see that? It looks like two little sharp mountains right at the very tip of the leaf. Whoa. Yeah. Isn't that cool? It's like a tiny little serration just yeah, on the tip. Just on the tip. I had no idea. That is very odd. It's amazing. Apparently, they're sharp as hell, which means, of course, if you're trying to think, oh, spruces are spiky. Right. Now, in this case, this, this fur is, is going to get you. This fur is not friendly. No, it's not a friendly fur. This is an unfriendly fur. Wow. Yeah. And on fir trees, the cones are always at the top. These are true furs, which means they have mm. upright standing cones. And Whee! they're dehiscent. Exactly. Ugh, Alex, you are just breaking my heart with how <laughs> much you're doing over there. <laughs> Let me tell everybody what this means. <gasps> Please do. When these cones have, have served their purpose mm-hmm. and their seeds have dropped, they fall apart piece by piece. Yes, and sometimes the seeds actually stay on and the cones themselves kind of help to distribute them. Oh, interesting. Not always. Oh, on the scales. Yes, Oh, interesting, okay. And I will say the scales of a dehiscent cone, maybe I'm thinking of cedars, true cedars, which are also dehiscent. Yes, these are the two greatest examples we can use right now. Yes, but I I know that maybe maybe it's the true cedar cones. Look, um, the scales themselves look like shark teeth when they fall off. Yeah, totally. Is this the same, similar thing? It's a similar thing in 100%. Yeah, that's perfect. So they are, they're dehiscent, they are upright, which means they look way different than everything but the true cedars. So if you're ever trying to tell the difference apart, in case, true cedars always have their needles coming out on little spur shoots in like these bunches. You're not going to find them singly born where it's just one needle next to one needle next to one needle. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Okay. Now, you're going to climb up, you're going to find these cones, they're only about maybe up to six inches or 15 centimeters tall, uh, three centimeters or about an inch wide, a little more than an inch. So they're not like barrel shaped, but they're just kind of these tall cylinder-like little things. And of course, they are always at the top of the tree because that's just how these gosh dang firs grow. That's really interesting. Yeah. I I mean, is it... Is that the case that this is just how they grow? Is there some sort of evolutionary advantage here? There is an evolutionary advantage, and it is trying to make sure that the cones that produce the pollen, the the pollen cones, (laughs) who would have thought, they are lower down in the tree, and the seed cones are up at the top of the tree. So the pollen cones will release their pollen, and then as it hits wind and currents and goes up, ideally it goes up and away from the tree, mm. and it doesn't necessarily get the get into the seeds, okay. the seed cones at the top. So it's kind of separating the parts so that it doesn't um, self-reproduce or Exactly, whatever. self-fertilize. Self-fertilize, yes. okay. You're exactly right. Interesting. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's why they do it. And a lot of trees will do this you'll see this in uh several different conifers but not all not all okay so the next thing of course you're going to look at is the bark and alex the bark is just fur bark it's just fur bark it's it's gray it's flat it's got little little resin blisters that you can poke and they spark Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that as a kid. Yeah, uh, everyone does. Being really into that. Yeah. Did you know uh, I had a treehouse when I was a kid? Hmm. 
I used to poke those in light. Uh, uh, it was in a Douglas fir, and they also have that. Mm-hmm. So we'd poke it, and we'd take a, a lighter, a match, and we'd light it on fire. That's safe. And then, yeah, the whole tree—not the whole tree, just that little section—would just be burning because it's just—it's very flammable. <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, sweet!" And then we just put it out. Oh man, your mom would be so pissed. <laughs> She'd be so mad. Anyway, sorry, mom. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it satisfies um, you know Doctor Pimple Popper in all of us. Yes, to, it really does. To burst yeah. those things. Gross, Doctor Pimple popper that is something i never want to think about again just don't google it okay i sure won't um <laughs> okay utility i would call this utility plus because yeah. at least it has those little pus blisters you it know do, uh, no they are resin blisters uh yeah uh, right oh, sure yeah so, okay. please I, that's this is we this it's, is a family friendly podcast <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of interesting yeah right but it also is just sort of like i don't know gray bark already i'm like nah it can grow from very low elevations to very high elevations in dry or wet habitats uh, and it doesn't tend to grow in its own forest. It's always peppered in with all these other species that we named. Okay. So it's just kind of one mm. of these uh, one of these species that is is a generalist. It just it can kind of grow just about anywhere, and it's uh, native only to Japan. There is many planted outside of it, but it's only right there. Only and I would I had never read endemic, but I'm pretty sure I can just say it's endemic. Okay. It's it, it might as well be. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the sense from this Japanese fur that it's like, you know, that like that character actor that you just like see in a bunch of stuff. You don't really know their name. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that's the guy from that other thing. You see him in commercials. You see him in movies. Yeah. And he's, he's always yeah. like a minor character in one scene. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you're like, oh, I love that guy. There he is again. Yeah. And I then you exactly. look at his IMDb page and it's like he has like. Uh, 150 credits from a bunch of different stuff. <laughs> yeah. But he's like not well known, but you know his face. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I'm feeling about that. He's like a, a generalist I think actor. That's, you that's know? a great example. I kind of like that. Well, lovely. Well, there's our Japanese fur, Casey. There it is. Now, it being Triyazaki and all, mm-hmm. and us talking Nausicaa and all, mm-hmm. how does this land? Well, Alex. It just so happens that the movie Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, yes, it has a lot to do with disaster. It sure does, Casey. And this tree, the Momi, is central to some research that the Japanese and other scientists are doing after a disaster that happened in Japan also. Mm. So it's, I don't think, quite assumed there's no real location for where the Valley of the Wind and, you know, this whole setting is. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's just generic Earth, I think, at this point. Okay. But it is made of Japan or by Japanese people. So I assume we can at least say, eh, maybe it's somewhere in Japan. I mean, every artist's art is based on that artist's life. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, when people say that we are a, uh, a P&W focused podcast, right. though we can look at you and say, no, <laughs> it, you know, you're not a hundred percent wrong. You have an organ bias. You're oh, like, that's well, weird. I wonder why. why. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is. Uh, yeah. So I assume that. So of course, the thing that mostly comes to mind when anyone thinks of uh, of a disaster of recent in Japan, yes. the first thing that I think of uh, is the tsunami or the earthquake and tsunami that happened in 2011, the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami, to be specific. I do want to give a, a a quick primer though on the on Nausicaa, so that people, if they haven't seen the film. 
have sort of context for uh, an ecological disaster. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's the right uh, way to do it in in this in this episode. Um, so here's the backstory of Nausicaa, mm-hmm. Casey. Um, it's been a we start a thousand years after the seven days of fire. Yeah, which is and this is why this is why I think maybe atomic bomb. Yeah, yeah. Parallel yeah. because it, it was an apocalyptic war that destroyed everything. Yes, at the time that the movie starts, we are it, it's a feudal system. Yeah. Um but this big war created an ecocide. Mhm. And this also created the toxic jungles, Casey, which are sort of at the center of this of the Nausicaa story. Yes. Which oh, are these, I can't wait to talk about that. Oh, me either. Mm-hmm. Which are basically these huge noxious fungal jungles. Yeah. Um filled with what what they call ohm. Yeah. Which are these um giant insects <laughs> it's well yeah really groovy it is, it's really groovy man <laughs> yeah what are they they are um they look like oh, trilobites trilobites yes, yes which are an ancient uh animal that doesn't just does not exist an ancient arthropod yeah kind of like a, a, a armored insect flat yeah low. it looks a lot like a pill bug what is a pill bug a, oh yeah a totally wood lice a kind potato of thing. bug yeah yeah exactly yeah i love that sure. term it was a potato bug. <laughs> yeah, and it's exactly right. And this is uh it's a it's all about these people like kind of dealing with another potential like apocalyptic thing happening to them. Yeah. Which is because they essentially anger the forest, mm-hmm. more or less. And that is uh, it's a, it's an interesting thing to take place, and the reason that I wanted to do this tree about that uh, is because the most recent nuclear disaster that happened is the Fukushima nuclear plant meltdown ah. that happened after this earthquake and tsunami. Oh, as a direct result? Yes. I don't remember this. Oh Casey. my gosh. Let's go over it real fast, okay. Alex. Okay. So the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami was one of the biggest natural disasters. Natural disasters become kind of somewhat human disasters uh, in recent Japanese history. It was the fourth biggest earthquake ever recorded by humans and we started doing that in 1900 so there's plenty of human history where we weren't recording the size of earthquakes but suffice it to say this one was a doozy it uh i see that it killed over twenty thousand people that's right alex it was one of the biggest disasters in japanese history and essentially what happened is you had this 9.1 mega thrust earthquake that happened and what that basically means is that you have the continental plate which means it's sliding above the plate that is going underneath which is the pacific plate Mm. now i believe that's how it is it could be one over the top but generally the oceanic plates are heavier so they sink below the other plates okay and what happens is it basically builds up a pressure on one plate where it starts to bend and then that plate basically springs back flatwards god so when it springs back then and it essentially is the force of the entire planet pushing up the water that is above it, creating this giant, giant wave. That's fucking terrifying. It is crazy. And what happens is basically this giant like wave, and I mean wave is in like a ripple moving through the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like you can barely see it and you can find videos of ships just going over this giant swell and they're perfectly mm. fine. Because in deep ocean, 
tsunamis are literally no big deal. They're just a gigantic wave. Hmm. So and it's not like the there's all these like rogue wave uh, things that we've just been hearing about recently where people are measuring these giant waves. They totally happen. This is different in that it's caused by a specific thing, a specific moment in time and place where you can measure it. And then it goes out in every direction like a ripple through a pond. Wow. But the thing is how waves work is imagine that that is actually a giant column of water. Yeah. That giant column of water is you know as thick as the ocean it's a couple hundred feet it gets moved up and then has to basically get displaced because water must be flat right this makes me sick it's insane alex and it's it, it really i don't want to interrupt you but i'm going to sorry <laughs> <laughs> i say as Listen, i interrupt i don't want to do this <laughs> it's uh being a being a human mm-hmm. a six foot by two foot human <laughs> two and a half feet maybe okay. I mean, with your arms out a little bit yeah, yeah I see what you're saying. is fucking terrifying when you consider the size of the earth uh-huh. and the size of the elements on the earth and how power how much power is in the earth yeah and to think about a 200 foot column of water yeah which is like you can't fight that. No. Now, I should say it's 130 feet. Oh, well. Is what they are. They believe the highest of the wave was. Still. But you're you're like 100% right. And if you ever, if anyone wants to really just kind of be stunned, there are videos that you can watch the water. It doesn't show anyone or any, it shows lots of destruction. It doesn't show on YouTube, certainly, anything that you're watching someone get crushed or something like that. Yeah. But you can just watch the water come in and go up because this is in 2011 in Japan where their the technology for cameras and phones yeah. was already quite established. Yeah. So this is a situation where you had a 130 foot column of water as they gets closer to the land, the land starts to kind of rise up. The seafloor goes up mm-hmm. towards the land and that forces the water column to move up as well. That entire mm. wave. So what in the ocean is a 40 foot swell becomes a hundred and some foot wave where it actually goes up. The reason that waves crash the way they do is essentially the top is moving faster than the bottom because of friction. So that's when you actually get the white caps. When you go from a swell to a wave that crashes and actually breaks that you see the surfers on and that kind of thing. That's the dynamics of the, the wave actually pushing on. The bottom is just a little bit slower because of friction. Then it crumbles over and then it just crashes through whatever's in front of it. Yeah. Most of the time it's rocks in the ocean. But this tsunami went up, upwards of six miles in in some places and moved one at a speed of 430 miles an hour what the fuck is that not insane i can't even i can't even imagine that yeah it's literally unimaginable like it's it's one of these kinds of natural disasters that is just the proportions like you're talking about are just so astronomical you can't even wrap your mind around it yeah yeah it's really it's very difficult to watch but it's one of those things where you're just like oh my god the power of the ocean it's yeah. unstoppable yeah like when you know hey there's this debate like which is more powerful like uh fire or water, water. i think i'm like on the water side. It's water. <laughs> I really, truly do. Um, so all this to Plus say- Plus there's so much of it, you know? Yeah, right? Like if, if the water just keeps on taking it, like it, it'll, it'll just keep on throwing water at, yep. at the fire, you know? Oh. Wow. Yeah. 
So you are right. Uh, about 20,000 people were killed. And just to put this into perspective, because it should also be noted, there was another tsunami in 2004, the Boxing Day tsunami. Do you that remember this? That one I remember, yeah. yeah. This was the day after Christmas, uh, and this was in Indonesia. It happened in the Indian Ocean. In Sri Lanka, I think, right? Uh, yeah, Sri Lanka was hit very hard. Okay. So there's a lot of places in um, the entire like kind of low-line area around the Indian Ocean. Um, mm-hmm. Africa wasn't hit too hard, but Thailand and a lot of those uh, kind of smaller tropical islands in Indonesia were yeah. that killed 227,000 people. And that was a magnitude 9.3 earthquake. That was just a little bit bigger than the earthquake that struck in just east of Japan. Jesus Christ. The only reason it probably wasn't as bad in Japan is that Japan is a mountainous area, whereas the low-lying islands in the Indian were way lower. So the water just, there's nothing to stop it. Literally wiped out entire islands. It's Mm. the magnitude of these things is outstanding. 200 and how many? 27,000. Oh my God. Yeah, it's one of the biggest tragedies in like loss of human life aside from war that's that I think we've ever really measured or seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Wow, wow, wow. So, <clears throat> all that to say, another casualty of this giant tsunami is the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Okay. Now, this was uh, in the northern section of Japan, and the big thing about nuclear power is that it needs to be cooled. It will just, like, essentially burn itself up. Hmm. So the cooling stations, which is just this water that helps run over certain parts to keep them cool, that has to continue all the time. If it stops for any reason, then the power plant essentially overheats and then melts down. That's the term meltdown. It overheats and just the whole thing goes to shit. Is this, does this manifest in like explosions or just super fucking hot fire and... I believe it is an explosive kind of thing where it kind of melts down and then it kind of throws out fallout outside oh, of it. God. But you can't always see it. It's not like an explosion where you can see stuff coming out and landing and then mm. you can look and say, oh, right there is the the nuclear stuff. Um, I'm not really sure 100% okay. on the, the specifics. I don't believe there was an explosion in this case, but there's just particles and like these things that just start to be emitted from this space. Yeah. This is all nuclear fallout. Wow. So similar thing happens, of course, like you're saying, with nuclear bombs and atomic bombs, where they get dropped and then you get this giant explosion of nuclear fallout that goes over a certain radius depending on the wind. Mm. In the case of Fukushima, luckily, the wind was mostly going to the east. So it actually took a lot of the fallout into, for better or worse, the Pacific Ocean. Okay. Fewer people, fewer animals, and things like that. Yeah. So you end up getting a little bit of fallout that went to the west, and it ended up hitting a bunch of the surrounding farmland and forests. Oh. All this farmland and the people had to be evacuated. I believe some of them are able to go back in a certain radius, but there's still a huge amount of space that's literally just been 
paved over. Like mountainsides are covered entirely in concrete. Wow. Yeah. So the tsunami came through, destroyed the cooling systems, knocked them offline. There's a meltdown of the reactor that then spread all of this nuclear stuff. It's like one of two like top level nuclear uh, like I guess disasters or like incidents, accidents that happened. The other one being Chernobyl. Right. Like those are the two top level. This is bad. We need to make sure this happened. There's been lots of other little tiny things that have happened. <laughs> Who knew that there's like nuclear problems all over the world, <laughs> Yeah. by the way. <laughs> uh, but those are the two big ones. Most people of course know about Chernobyl in what? 1984 is mm. when it was giant explosion and 18 and a half mile wide, uh, gigantic exclusion radius yeah. area. No wow. one's allowed in. No one's Still. allowed out. <laughs> it's like Willy Wonka's factory. Yeah, it is. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, terrifying. Okay. Uh, anyway. Is this our most distressing episode ever? Yeah, it might be. It might be. Uh, <laughs> I feel awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I first, two things, uh, two caveats. I uh, We are not here to give our opinion on if we think nuclear is good or bad. Mm. We're not going to discuss that, but a lot of people have opinions on that. Uh, sure, yeah. Very strongly. I'm not ready Alex. for that. No, we're not ready for that. We're just talking about what it is now. We're just, and here we are. Uh, the other thing is, I don't know what the difference is between people saying you're pronouncing nuclear wrong. Do you, are you familiar with this? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Thing? One is nuclear. Okay. And one is nuclear. Nuclear. It's where the L is, either after nuclear. the... Nuclear. Because it's nu- nuclear. Nu- yeah, nuclear. Yeah. Okay. But a lot of people say nuclear. Nuclear. Like George W. Oh! Bush said that and got roasted for that. God, see, that's what I was worried about. I'm like, am I saying this right? What's happening? Nuclear. Okay, thank God. Well, yeah. if I say it differently, um, I don't care. Wow. So just I, that's I, I had to come to terms with this because I didn't know the difference for years. Yet people would say it to me and I'd like, I don't know what you're saying. You know what? Am I saying it right? Tomato. Dumb? Tomato. Tom, uh, tomato. Tomato. Okay, yeah. Now that's it kind makes of sense. what it is. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Okay, so for always putting things in perspective for me. <laughs> so a lot of the, some of this fallout didn't go into the ocean. It went west, correct, into forests. Exactly. Uh, were there forest fires after this? No, there was no forest fires. Okay. Uh, it was a little bit different than the Chernobyl, and we actually got a question about this from one of our listeners a while back. Hmm. And the question was: Is the red forest of uh, of Pine trees are actually um, Scots pine, Pinus sylvestris, a hmm. European species of pine. Um, they were essentially killed entirely. They got so much radiation. And I should note, this is from cesium-137 is hmm. the element that is decaying. It's a product of the fission of plutonium and uranium. Okay, I thought that was the uh, username of the of the listener who asked this. Oh, hey, what's up, cesium-137? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> okay, so that's that's the element uh, that that caused all the yes, fuckery. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So that's just a radioactive element. It's actually used often in all sorts of things. Radio um, or uh, chemotherapy is an example of this. Radiation oh, wow. therapy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually in Seattle there was a nuclear event where some of this powder spilled out, which was cesium one thirty seven. Oh shit! And so these people like had to literally be decontaminated. Oh my god! It was just in Seattle, Harborview Medical Center. Anyway, it's scary. Yeah, that was in two thousand nineteen, maybe. Oh. Not that long ago either. Yeah. Huh. 
Anyway. Cool. Everyone's smiling. Everyone keeps smiling. Everything's fine. <laughs> Nausicaa. We're talking about Nausicaa. How did they survive? <laughs> yeah, this sounds very post-apocalyptic, it all is, this yeah. shit. Yeah. So CCM-137 is essentially spread all over the forests to the west of the Daiichi nuclear plant, which is the Fukushima nuclear plant. Okay. So everyone is like, wow, what's happening? In uh, As we were saying, in Chernobyl, the same thing happened, and all of these... Uh, pine trees died mm. and they turned red because whenever you see a pine tree or really any kind of conifer when they die they turn this like reddish brown color oh yeah essentially look, they're all their needles it almost looks like they've rusted yeah 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 yeah. that's a great perfect example okay so that's just everything dries up and turns brown it's essentially what okay. it is okay it's, it's, it sounds like maybe it was like a chemical reaction or something yeah right no this is just this is how they happen in fact uh, I used to l- learn stories I think people probably still do this a little bit today mm. Um. But native peoples in the Pacific Northwest, they would like go up to the mountains in the snow and they'd find these big dead trees that are just completely brown from head to toe, but they're like crunchy dry and they would just light them on fire because there's not going to be a forest fire. There's snow everywhere. (laughs) They just light up these giant trees. And I think they just did it because they're like, you want to see something cool? (laughs) Like I'm 90% positive. There's no, there's no like, uh, wow. Hey, yeah. Maybe there's like something where they'd be like, yeah, let's pray and then light this thing on fire. Uh, It's a celebration. Or it might just be like, bro, this is going to be fucking crazy. (laughs) This is going to be sick. (laughs) Um, so yeah. that's that's what happens uh, with these trees. They just okay. turn red, they die. That didn't happen in uh, Fukushima? Exactly, because if you are getting doused with uh, with these radioactive isotopes, yeah. these nucleides, nu- nu- nucleotides, I think something like that, mm. they are essentially uh, more destructive in higher proportions or essentially your higher dose. You know, as they say, the dose makes the poison. Yeah. So if those pine trees near Chernobyl were right there next to it, so they got a high dose. There's also a huge explosion, so it's a way bigger area. Sure. And so all the trees that are right next to it, poof, they, they died because they essentially got irradiated to death. Oh, my God. Now here, they did not. But they ended up basically having the same questions. They said, okay, we have this huge nuclear disaster in a place where people live, where we are working, where we are farming, where trees are, where plants are. What happens? Like, what is happening? What is going to happen? We were also not in a war zone, which separates it a little bit from Japan in 1945, Mm -hmm. where we couldn't just have all the scientists come in and say, hello, we are going to take some notes. Like, at the end of the day, like people did try to study that as much as they could. Yeah. But under the circumstances, it wasn't really the top priority. So here, once everything kind of got stabilized in terms of this giant disaster that just struck and befell this, this nation, now they said, okay, we got to clean this up. And then over the next several decades or several years, it's not even been more than a decade and two years. Like it's been 12 years since yeah. this happened. Wow. Now scientists are coming back and saying, okay, let's start taking some measurements and look into this. And also, of course, there are so many wonderful scientists in this part of the world. They said, hey, we have a horrible thing that just happened. Let's use this and learn from it. Because yeah. in this, in all over in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of nuclear sites because that's how they make their power. Mm. In a lot of places, Japan has many. So 
they started measuring these trees called the Japanese fir, the momi fir, a mm. very common fir that's all over the place. So you can find wonderful amounts of examples across the entire uh, the nation. You can also find it in gradients of distance away from the uh, the power plant. And depending on how far away, they could measure oh, wow. differences in how, how big the dosage of radiation was that they have received from cesium-137. And I'm assuming because it's a very common tree, there's a lot of research on it. Yes, we know it pretty well, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. So they ended up finding in kind of a way that you're you're like it could be extremely uh I think I read a Newsweek article that was like uh nuclear fallout causes crazy different like changes in morphology of trees. Yeah. And you're just like, whoa, like that's clickbait. You click on it and it's really just true firs, as we talked about at the beginning, tend to grow in very regimented ways. They have one shoot that comes up, and then they have whirls of branches that come out. That's what they do. One shoot. Only if that top shoot gets killed do they end up having adjacent buds grow up, and then you have maybe one or two new shoots. We call it bifurcated stems or shoots that come up. Wow. So I'm assuming this happened. That's what happened. Okay. So if you go out and top a tree right now, it's the same exact thing. So that 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 kind of article makes it sound like these trees got so ir- irradiated yeah. that they like mutated and exactly. became something else entirely. Yes. Yeah. They when, just they just had to start growing a different way. They just had to start growing a different way. Okay. Yeah. So instead of having the entire tree die, it's actually just the growing shoots and tips that mm. die. So two things are really interesting. One, why didn't the rest of the tree die? It's very curious to me because Alex, the whole tree is right there. Like the branches that are lower would have probably got radiation just as much. Yeah. But it's just that growing tip, the vertical growing tip that was affected. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I can't find any good reason. No oh, one really? Says, Shit. No one says why. They just say, we noticed this. I've got a theory. What's your theory? There's got to be like some sort of tissue in that growing tip. Yeah. That is... <clears throat> I don't know, reacts differently to the radiation. I guess so. Right? But it's like it, it sh- that same growing, like that same stuff should be in all the growing tips. Yeah, that's a good point. So, but I don't know. You know, it's like, it's really curious. I Maybe wow. maybe I'm just reading this wrong where they, they say, yes, the vertical growing tip is bifurcated, which means that it then grows two new tips, which essentially just means it was topped and then the lower buds ended up coming up. Yeah. But- I can't see why that wouldn't have happened elsewhere. So maybe they're just not saying it, but it actually did happen. Sure. But also the other thing that's very curious is that it actually peaked two years later. They noticed that you, the growth, because of course it does this, it goes up and then out, then up, then out. So every, actually I should say it goes out and up every single year more okay. correctly. So you have the buds that start at point zero. Mm-hmm. Then first year they go outwards and go upwards. Second year from the tip of what just grew last year, uh-huh. they do that again. So you end up getting these very succinct growth forms where you can look at the whorls on a tree and you can count them and you essentially can gauge more or less how old the tree is because each whorl represents one year's worth of growth. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So in this case, they can look through and say, aha, well, this happened. This is where this thing happened. And then we can count and find that two years later when we're measuring these, Mm -hmm. we find this tip dieback. Wow. So it's very curious about like, well, why did it take two years for the tree to show this like this, this intensely 
uh, acute thing, you know? Interesting. Yeah, which we've always talked about. Like, if a tree uh, is growing in year zero, mm-hmm. year zero is a really rough, hot year. Yeah. Then you will see the effects of that in the following year. Right. But that is because the tree basically has fewer resources to allocate for next year's growth. Yeah. During the year, it's actually getting, it's allocating those resources. So, how did that happen here? If and the tree had this one thing that went boop, then it grew normally for a year, then grew normally for another year, and then the tip died. Interesting. Instead yeah. of just one year. Exactly. And then just just keep going. Do firs maybe like store extra energy for multiple seasons? I mean, they could. They would. They'll use as much as they need at any given point. Yeah. But they react <clears throat> immediately. So they would react next year for whatever happens this year. Interesting. So it's really curious, and this is why I think it, it's a very important news thing, because we understand, as you noted... It's a common tree. We understand it really well. It's a very common fir tree. But it's also like doing things that are just just weird enough, you know? Like if we can just say, yeah, it killed all the tips and then the tree started growing normally again, that wouldn't be a news story. But it is because the nuclearness of this, like this specific radiation has caused this tree to grow in a weird way in a weird way. Isn't that kind of fun? That is kind of fun. Casey, we're, well, you know, <laughs> this whole conversation is tainted. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Yeah, it's but, got a very um, nuclear taste to it. <laughs> um, so I want to, I want to, I want to like pitch in a, a thought experiment here. Yeah, okay. This was a terrible disaster. Yes. The trees, for all intents and purposes, are, are somewhat affected. Yeah. But not like, not like drastically. Uh, yeah, not like drastically in the way that a they weren't killed, so it's less drastic than Chernobyl. Yeah, but they're also we're not really sure like how how their mutations will continue. By the way, an interesting interesting uh, uh, sort of thing to think about over the next few decades, like how these trees evolve. Yes, like that's a huge um, question. Yeah, so imagine the uh, imagine if you know. In Nausicaa's world, yeah, how massive this apocalypse would have had to have been—the destruction for the ecological change that resulted. Yeah, it's it's mind blowing. It's pretty right? interesting. So that and that's kind of the the big question that um, that we're left with. Like the scientists are still doing work; they don't have any like intense conclusions. Okay, I'm not even sure if there can be an intense conclusion. It's just more of an observational kind of thing. Yeah, they're just keeping an eye on it. Yeah, and wow. so in order for all these things to go away, like we were talking about with a half life, uh, a half life. I think of these are somewhere around thirty or so years. Okay, so essentially that border or that is in thirty years there will be half of whatever total you start with. Okay, so yeah. it's a proportion, but it's also this is always constantly going. So in 25 years, then now you still have X amount that's still becoming smaller. It's like a reverse uh, quadratic equation or something oh like God. that. Uh, not quadratic, just uh, exponential. Rev- yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it's how fast it decays, and instead of getting exponentially bigger, it's becoming exponentially smaller. Always reaching towards zero, but never actually reaching zero. Theoretically, right? yeah. Because okay. at one point it will, you know, it'll decay to the point where now you just have some inert thing that's no longer radioactive. Yeah. But how long will that take? Depends on how much you start with. Are people, do people live around there? Yeah, some people actually have moved back in. And the biggest thing in the news these days uh, is that they are now starting to treat water or rather release treated water that was radioactive back into the Pacific Ocean. 
Wow. This has caused a huge uproar because many people are familiar with the fact that Japan is a very fish-oriented culture in yeah. terms of its, uh, its agronomy. Uh-huh. Is that right? No, gastronomy. <laughs> they eat a lot of fish. Yes. And it's very traditional. And they and other peoples who live in this area, people on, say, the west side of the, I'm sorry, on the east side of the Pacific Ocean are like, ooh, hey, we eat fish that like is over there all the time. I don't know how comfortable I am eating fish out of the Pacific Ocean that could have been swimming in and around or eating other fish that were swimming in and around treated water from this nuclear place. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also, I mean, there was also the original fallout. Yeah. That went into the ocean. Right. So I'm sure that affected the fish somehow. Something, you know. If it, not, if it didn't just like straight up kill them. It's wild. I don't I, I didn't do any research into that, but people are. They're actively looking into this. Wow. And the Japanese are saying it is okay. We've done every test we possibly can. Yeah. This water is safe to be put back into the system. Whew. Yet everyone else is like, ah, you know, okay. Given the history of Japan and atomics, I would be, comp- I completely understand why people would be skeptical. Yeah, totally. Like, like traumatized to even too traumatized to even consider drinking that water or eating those fish. Yeah. It's um, wild. Wow. So all this to say, uh, this tree's kind of found itself at the center of the, it's, it's at least a poster child of the, learning about how this kind of nuclear fallout in this one particular area is manifesting itself over over time wow and it just happens to be a tree that's very common in this in this part of the world and an endemic tree that's not like uh endangered or threatened in any way it's very common it's all over the place yeah so it's just a very curious kind of situation where this tree has happened to be the bellwether that we are measuring is everything okay? Is it wow. not okay? How, how okay is it? It's sort of, this is an interesting part of this tree's history now. It's like put at the center of this, almost like the center of the scandal. Like now yeah. it has to just deal with the, with this being a part of its world. It's yeah. kind of wild. It's now part of a natural experiment or yeah. unnatural, depending on how you want to look at it. A lot of questions raised. Wow. I'm, I'm like so curious to see where this, where this leads. Um, oh, well, I can tell you where it leads, Alex. Into our review. It leads. It, oh. I'm so sorry. That was correct. Yeah, that was, it was, we could have done either way. Go ahead. I I was going to say it leads straight to the Valley of the Wind. Wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. We got to do it after a break. And before we do that, after the break, but before the Nausicaa, we got to give our review of this tree. I don't even know what (laughs) We're at a break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary's Triyazaki. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary's Triyazaki. That was our discussion of the Japanese fur. Casey's laughing because I left about a quarter of a second for mm-hmm. our break. I it's, like doing that. It's fun. It is very fun. I like it a lot. It just makes it. It's just a little, little uh, behind the scenes uh, yeah. sneak here. Yeah, it's a good, good way to keep the momentum of the conversation. Yeah, exactly. But you're very good at uh, at, at making the transition in a verbal sense. Uh-huh. You know, ha, who, ha, hi. <laughs> I'm back. It's just good. Thank you. It's because this is all an act. Uh, Casey, that was our discussion of the Japanese fur and its tragic, interesting history in the in the last last couple decades. That's right. It is time for our review of this tree, and here's how it works. We're gonna give some final thoughts on the Japanese fur, and then give it a rating of zero to ten. I would still like to do well. 
we we've been kind of tailoring what we're giving to these trees based on the on the um uh the movie that we're talking about maybe we do a zero to ten ohm Oh, ohm eyeballs. We can just do ohms, golden ohms of <laughs> yeah, honor. Yeah, golden ohms of honor. Oh, I mean, so literally good. the golden tendrils that, yeah. that they have. It's beautiful. Um, Casey, as our resident expert, will begin with you. Well, thank you, Alex. So this tree, I, I just really, I don't know, but I wish I did. Like I, I don't know that it would not grow well here, but I don't think I've ever seen one. Uh, even at the Arboretum, but I may have not looked very closely. Mm. We have a lot of European species and Himalayan species and Asian species, but I just have never, I've never even seen it. I'd wager that it would grow here. Just, I think so. Just splendidly. Yeah. I mean, we, it might be a little too dry here often. I bet you on the coast, it'd be way happier. Okay. But nonetheless, I bet you we could do it. Yeah. So I'm very sad that I cannot actually go out and see and poke these double topped needles, Yeah. which is, it obviously raises its profile in my, in, like that's an interesting thing in a tree. Super. And a very good ID characteristic. You're just walking around and everyone's like, well, it's a fir tree, but I'm not sure which one. Uh. And you just look at the ends of the needles and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> easy as that. So this, I also, I like that it's a big tree. I like that it grows everywhere. Yep. Uh, it seems like it's not overplanted, but it also seems like there's other trees that you might, you might plant a little more. Sure. I would say like the, uh, the Kaiomaki would be a good choice. Mm. It's, it's, it's there, but it's also like on the threatened kind of side of things. Whereas okay. this one's like diamond dozen. It's like the Douglas fir of Japan. Sure. Well, it, that's not exactly correct. So don't look any further into that metaphor. I get what you're saying though. Thank you, Alex. So, I don't know. It, it stands out, but it also seems like one of those trees that's like, eh, I don't know. There's, there's like 10 of them over here, so no, no, no one cares. Sure. So, I think I'm going to go for a straight 7.5. 7.5. Yeah, 7.5. In fact, I'm going to go 7.55 because of that double tip. All right. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Now we're talking. Yeah. 7.55 golden ohm tendrils of honor. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. From Casey Clapp, the Japanese fur. What do you think, Alex? So, I feel okay about this tree i am sorry for its loss in the, the west of uh what was it kayomaki no west of uh, uh daishi yeah what is what oh kayomaki is a tree it is a tree yeah, well, yeah. what am i what's the word what's the k word i'm thinking of uh um, fukushima yeah mm, it yeah, has a k a, in it technically an f word <laughs> the f word uh fukushima so I, I i like this tree well enough it's got some quirky <laughs> characteristics uh, you know, the uh, fur bark is cool. It has little pustules and things. They, they, again, these are resin blisters. Uh, right, excuse me. Alex. Not pus pustules. Yes. You're, you're causing so many people just horrible flashbacks to <laughs> high school. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm not feeling super energized about this tree really? in particular. Well, this is like the one tree you should feel like energized about. Oh, this geez, is, Casey. I, mean, I, I don't... I, it's Lydia Radioactive, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I Gosh, I don't want to undersell it, but I don't want to oversell it for the sake of, um, you know, I like giving ra- high ratings. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like a 6.0. Ooh, I don't that's know. Rough. Hey, if it doesn't inspire you, it doesn't inspire it you. It doesn't inspire me. I'm sorry. All right. That's... I think it's just fine. As you were describing it, I was like, it's like looking for something. Like, yeah, it doesn't. It, I mean, it's it's uh, it's got a nice dark leaf. <sighs> the on. leaves have two points. Come on, on. the two point it's thing two is 
it it gets it to two golden tendrils. Wow. Okay. So it would be 5.8 without it. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. This poor tree. <laughs> I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just fine. I don't know. I think the story around it is much more interesting. Yeah. And because it had, you know, it has, it has nothing to do with that yeah, story. That's, that's fair. I just don't think it, I don't know. It's, it's so, so for me, that was our discussion of the Japanese fur. Gosh, I feel, I feel bad. Don't feel bad, Alex. I'm about to feel really good because we're going to talk about a very cool thing. And that is our new segment that we're doing for this month, Ghibli Talk. <sighs> it was called Ghibli Talk before it, this week. Exactly. A lot of people don't know that because it's all been edited out, so it, uh, it's pronounced correctly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'll definitely do that. Uh, Casey, this week we watch uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. That's right. I am so interested to hear what you have to say. This this movie, as I said, is post post apocalyptic. Yes, I should say like post post apocalyptic. Yeah, I suppose like, that's fair. Like yeah, civilization has returned, mm-hmm. but it is post apocalyptic yes, civilization. Exactly. Uh, now, real quick, spoilers all over the place. So oh yeah. Go take yourself. Uh, go take yourself a nice two hours. Go watch it. Come back and press play. Yeah. Just make sure to listen to the ads after the show. <laughs> that's all we ask. I don't even think we have any. Do we have there any? There are no more post-rolls nice. on this show, Okay, Casey. yeah. See so you free, guys. Um, Casey, I w- I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. Okay. So the first thing is, I have noticed, and you've, you and I have talked about this, uh, Japanese animation has a, a, a higher percentage of butts than I have ever, I've ever seen in like a... Uh, animated anything you know it's like when somebody mentions a car and then you just start seeing corollas everywhere yeah, you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. Oh, you, i mentioned it i, I think you see. mentioned that there were a lot of like shots of like butts yeah and then you just start seeing them all over the place <laughs> now i just look at everyone's ass all the time <laughs> i watched i watched this with a friend of the pod kyle yeah and that was one of the first things he said was like, her skirt is really short. Yes. And she leans over and you can see very clearly an articulated buttocks. But I think she's uh, she's definitely wearing leggings. Oh, yes. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like bare skin. No, no. But it's the same thing with my cousin Totoro. I, was, I, I think I made yeah. the comment to you. I'm like, there's a lot of shots of like a little girl like bending over to like pick something up and like yes. you can see like diaper or something underneath. Like from behind for yes, some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I have no significant, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not like, oh, well, this means that. Like, I don't, there's no literal significance to it. Sure. It's just something you noticed about it's, yeah. these films. I think it's just an animation, uh, like, just a stylistic choice. I guess. I just think that the, the so far, I've watched three of these movies. Yeah. And they all are, like, kind of hyper-realistic, but also not hyper-realistic. Hmm. Like. Obviously, how they run is a, is a very thing. Like, if you watch Kill Bill, <laughs> they run the way that they would run, or the like, their are this kind of style of animation does. Yeah, where like the legs just like kind of disappear up and down. Yeah, when really, you're seeing the legs bend backwards, but because they're bending backwards perfectly in line with the camera, <laughs> you don't see that they're bending. They just look like they get shorter and taller and shorter and taller. Totally. And so in uh, in Kill Bill, they run like that a lot, where they specifically made the choice quentin tarantino i should say wow when you see them running they're almost like no one actually runs that way like little pogo sticks yeah exactly yeah and so it's it's a stylistic thing i've noticed it okay 
And the other thing that I think is like this, like they, they show like, yeah, well, this is kind of like this futuristic thing. If this was um, a live action kind of movie and they had this like sexy looking princess out there, yeah. then they're like, yeah, we're going to get some shots of her butt because all them little uh, high schoolers are going to be all about it. Yeah. To which I replied, I now know why this was like a movie that surely a bunch of like teenage boys first saw and they're like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm into anime. <laughs> it was so clear, yeah. like all over the place. I'm like, she, it was just everything about it. I was just like, yeah, okay, I see. I see that if I had watched this as a small child entering puberty, yeah. this would define what I find attractive. For sure. <laughs> like, I swear to God. Yeah. And I laughed about it very much to myself. Actually, out loud, watching it, thought it was so funny. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about this is wow. this really struck me in the, uh, the Captain Planet style of, um, like, nuclear disaster. Mm. Like, the... Uh, I guess parable of it. Is it parable? Uh, no, um, allegory of okay. it was so clear to the point where they were like, they literally said, and I watched the um, the English translation because it's mm-hmm. the one that popped up. And it said, uh, it was it was like so clear and obvious where they would say, oh, you're saying that we killed a planet like this and now we need to respect nature? Oh, like, yeah. and then like you had these flashbacks of like the parents saying, don't worry, this is good for you. We have to kill everything. Mm-hmm. We can't live together with these things. And I was sitting there like, this is so, so accurate to the way humans are. Like we just went through a giant disaster, yet we insist that we must engineer our way. This may seem wrong, but trust us, we're doctors and scientists. Yeah. We know what's best kill everything that's unnatural or kill everything that is natural and our our created curated spaces those are safe those are that's what we want and i was just like oh man this is it was so blatant and it's just such a 1980s kind of thing like the uh fern gully in the early 90s yes and this happened two years prior to chernobyl this movie oh wow really okay so like 84 i think this film yeah chernobyl happened in 86 okay so then two years later this huge nuclear thing happens and i guarantee anyone who would watch this movie was like oh yeah oh who's gonna be nasica (laughs) looking around like i thought that was just uh it was great and then at the end when uh she basically convinces everyone Nothing is dangerous. Like, in fact, you destroying this thing is what's causing the problem. Totally. Like, the insects are fighting back because they're just mad about how you guys have destroyed everything. Yeah. It's this, quote, toxic forest, this bad nature that is actually creating the ecosystem services that we're using right now in our little village, pumping up the water. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, it's so good. Like, that was, I was just clapping my hands like perfect yeah it really it's it has a very satisfying conclusion basically i mean how do you even get into the plot Uh, go watch it i guess there there are these there's this toxic jungle full of these giant insect creatures called ohms Uh and um there's this sort of high level government uh plan to destroy this jungle well yeah but it's through like different uh it's through different feudal lords yeah there's like factions exactly and some are warlike and say oh well we got to do this because we have to keep it at bay because if it gets into our area it's going to kill us all yeah and then there's this interesting thing about um 
you know, the Valley of the Wind, mm -hmm. the reason that they're safe here is because the wind blows the the toxic spores out, out of their valley. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, the wind blows it. Is My understanding is the wind comes from one direction and blows from them to the forest. Yeah. So the forest doesn't like come in through the wind essentially keeps it at bay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's always pushing it away. So there's this, there's this section on the Wikipedia article, which I read after watching the film. Good. Thank you. Um, where it talks about the, the, the inspirations mm -hmm. for this. And I'm just going to list a, a few of them and we can maybe like grab onto one or two. Uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea. Have mm -hmm. you ever read those? I haven't, no. Great fantasy books. Um, Isaac Asimov, the, the the father of modern robotics, mm -hmm. uh, science fiction. Uh, Lord of the Rings, which is this cute little book by J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, it's a nice little series. It's it's pretty easy read. It's kind of underground. I don't hear a lot yeah, of people talk no, about it. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, there's, there's nothing really about it. <laughs> in the media <laughs> and then uh and then dune and this was the thing that i thought of the most was dune watching yeah. this um because it's sort of like feudal but sci-fi yeah which yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about i think that's like my favorite genre right now really it's like feudal sci-fi like dune interesting um but essentially nausicaa yeah our main character mm -hmm. is a princess yes of valley of the wind correct and her whole thing, <laughs> her whole thing is that she can like, she has this sort of, um, uh, supernatural ability yeah, yes, to connect right. with animals, uh -huh. including these, uh, these ohm insects. Yeah. And, you know, um, she has this sort of zero tolerance policy in terms of violence. Mm -hmm. Like even when her enemies are in danger. She's saying, no, 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 stop the violence. Yeah. She does kill like a bunch of people and she's pretty upset with herself that she did, but it's pretty yeah. cool. It's like, she just went berserk. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. And she, and she, instead of being like there, I did my job. She, it like, it like wrecks her. Yeah. She's she, like, yeah. She didn't like it. Yeah. Um, she, she was also protecting her father. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I really liked, I really liked Nausicaa in this and it was like, you know, it is a little heavy handed in terms of what it's trying to say, mm -hmm. but I think that's okay here. It, it, to me, it just feels very, uh, I've, a lot of Japanese media I've watched is sort of like that. Yeah. Or like the allegory or like what it's trying to say is like, Fairly blatant. they just like put it in the script. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, it's like tell don't show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that, I thought that worked here. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I was very charmed by this movie. I, I watched it with, with Kyle, like I said, and I was like kind of, captivated from the first mm, scene mm -hmm. um and then at a certain point which is i think uh something that a lot of people wanted us to talk about i posted a what do you want to hear about oh, each yes. of these things yeah, did you see that i did and we got a lot of responses okay, and a lot okay. of them a lot of people thank were you. really excited for us to watch nausicaa wow and thank you because i had a great time <laughs> um what's the next movie you want to watch or you want us to watch <laughs> and uh i hope it's kill bill I hope it's Princess Mononoke because that's what oh, we're doing. Yeah, I guess you're right. We do have to watch that one. <laughs> but at a certain point, uh, Nausicaa and is it Asbel, um, the prince? Oh yes, yes, yes. From a, a neighboring kingdom, they get sucked under the quicksand of the toxic jungle. Yeah, and they find themselves in this like crystal forest. Yes, it's basically pet a petrified forest. Mm -hmm. 
and the air is clean. There's a, there's a lot of stuff in this movie about the air being unclean. Yeah, it's toxic. Yeah, everybody wears like these interesting like droopy dog yeah. uh, masks. They yeah, they look just like some some weird version of a uh, like a uh, gas mask. Totally, yeah. yeah. Like a like a like a like a you know droopy dog. Uh, I think so. That yeah, character that has like big long jowls. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but under the under the quicksand here, which is underneath the toxic jungle, mm-hmm. everything's clean. Yes. And there's this whole thing about she's you know, um, Nausicaa is like a botanist. Yeah, like she she has this little uh, this little cave or like a a hidden area where all these plants grow. Yeah. They, everyone's like, what are you doing down here? We got to destroy him. Like uh, uh, Patrick Stewart's character does that. That's right. Lord he's, Yupa. Yeah, Lord Yupa. She's so good. So, so good. Such a great cameo. He's, ga- he's Not Gandalf. Not cameo. He's character. Gandalf. Uh, no. He's Gandalf. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the character we're talking about. I thought Lord you Yupa were. <laughs> is Gandalf. <laughs> I thought you were confusing him for... Uh, Sir. Uh, oh yes, I see the other the the actor who yeah. played. Yes. No. Um. Yeah, she's like a botanist, and she's like she's figured out a way to to like cleanse these toxic plants, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Well, I think she says that uh, it's the soil. They're essentially growing and spewing what they're growing in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is the the fascinating part, where like everything is toxic because. Everything is toxic. Yeah. Does not, that make sense? Not just that the plants are toxic, but that they're like drawing toxicity. Yeah. From- it's like the plants are just dealing with what they are dealing with. Mm-hmm. They are not the things, they're not the cause. They are the proximate issue. They are a symptom. And the ohm are the same way. The ohm yeah. are, are reactionary. They are reacting to the humans, I guess. Yeah, well, they're trying to keep the humans at bay, like keep them, at least allegedly. You know, Nasca makes a lot of pretty intense conclusions, okay, which I think we can put on the, why don't you have a little bit of a, a questioning mind, Nasca? It, it is true. <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of jumping to conclusions in this movie. Yeah, she's not very skeptical. She's just like, oh my God. It turns out, and yeah. it makes this sweeping declaration that they're, you know, doing all these things. So it's like, okay. She'll like see something and be like, they're reacting to the so-and-so. And I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah, like, that is very, that's okay. Thank you. I assume you're right, but let's just, let's just maybe not bet everything on this. <laughs> hedge our bets a bit. But I will say, it maybe makes sense because, and it's big spoilers, she is like, the chosen one. I yes. Guess. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, this, this fate, this myth is set up in the beginning about this, this warrior who will, uh, return and, and cleanse the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, what does it say? They wear blue. Yeah. And they walk on a field of gold. Yes. And at the end, this imagery is, is replicated, but she's wearing, she's wearing this blue outfit and she's, she's being, uh, you know, um, lifted up by the golden tendrils of the ohm. She's like, you know, she solved everything. And how does she solve everything? Casey? She just listens. She listens. Yeah. She's, she's, she solves it with peace, with listening, with understanding, not, more warships mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. giant guns and destruction. Yeah. And I think that is like the, the sentiment of this time of, of like the entire world. Like everyone was like, Whoa, like the, uh, the clean air act hadn't been in place for more than like 10 or 15 years at this mm. point. Like this is all happening at a time when everyone is looking around and literally seeing the world get destroyed. And yeah. All like collectively are saying, can we put the br- 
brakes on this right now. Yeah. And like, and unfortunately, I don't think the brakes were necessarily put on. I think we just shoved it off to a place where we don't necessarily uh, have it right in front of us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I loved this movie. There's so much to it. I yeah, feel like did, we're not yeah. quite doing it justice in this conversation. Right, there's no way we could. This no. is not a movie podcast. Well, no, <laughs> but... In addition to that, there is just so much happening. There's so many different um, sort of perspectives and... there's there's a lot of plot that's a very busy movie it very much is that's true um but so good and uh before we wrap up casey the soundtrack oh my god the soundtrack is so good so so good this is by joe hisaishi hisaishi Mm -hmm. um it's like it's like if John Carpenter made anime. It's, it's so fucking great. I, I love it. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Somebody does. That was our review of Nausicaa. We hope you go watch it. And we hope you enjoy it. Casey. Alex Grosen. It's time for a completely arbitrary AMA. Let's do it. Uh, John Collier asks. Well, the subject line is for trees that fix nitrogen. Interesting. My understanding mm-hmm. is that they have bacteria that live in their roots that fix the nitrogen. Many of them do. When a tree grows from a seed, is the bacteria a part of the seed or the DNA? Oh. Does it get picked up from the soil? Where does it come from? Four question marks. Interesting. Thank you, John. Very good question. Now, Casey, I, I chose this. We had kind of a funny, uh, we had a bit of a comedy of errors at the beginning. We did. A little who's on first. We did, yeah. yeah. Who's fixing the planet? <laughs> right. Uh, I chose this question because i saw atlas 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 is fixing the planet anyway, i'll explain oh, it in wow. a second yeah oh now God. Alex has got it flush of great ideas <laughs> i chose this question because i saw you know nitrogen fixing yes i was like oh that's interesting like how does how does uh you know how do trees and i, I kind of like extrapolated what we were talking about today into like how do trees fix the nuclear fallout yeah, yeah, in the yeah, yeah, soil, yeah. which isn't really what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, but it also has to do with Nausicaa because the trees are like fixing the soil and the water and cleaning the soil in the water. Yeah. And you're like, Alex, 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 you said, you are so stupid. I did. I, I believe I, I believe I actually kind of shouted it. <laughs> Shout it kind of kind of downwards at you a little bit. Too. You are so stupid. Yeah, uh, you did not say that, but I, I realized my mistake, which is that these are three completely separate things. Yes. So Casey, please, for the stupid among us, or the un- <laughs> I should say the uninformed among us. Now, just to be clear, I'm talking about you. <laughs> if you're wondering if I'm talking about you, I am. Uh, what is nitrogen fixing? Yes, nitrogen fixation is wow. the process of something fixing atmospheric nitrogen to a terrestrial thing. Now, this is the definition of fix here yes. is like a fix. Exactly, like, not repair. Right. This is like affixing a, a, a photo to your wall. Yes. It's like attachment. Yes. So nitrogen is actually, I think, 80% of our atmosphere. Nitrogen? So, oh, yes. wow. And technically, it's dinitrogen because it is a covalent bond. I believe oh, that's the geez. term. I haven't heard that word in, in 20 years. What? Oh, my God. We talked all about nuclear fission today. Yeah. We can't even, we get, this is like, this is good. This what is like this? science class today. Yeah, welcome, everyone. Science Science Friday. So, yeah, the covalent bond means essentially it's like oxygen, O2. Yeah. It, it bonds with itself very strongly. So, you never have just a single oxygen molecule floating around 
around, you have two oxygens right next oh, to each other. And they're rather, they're connected and, and chilling. So when we say nitrogen, we really mean dinitrogen. Yes, technically. Okay. But really, yeah, it would be like N2 would be the how you'd see it. It's just like O2. Okay. So what that means is that we have 80% nitrogen. 80% of everything we're breathing in right now is in fact nitrogen. Okay. So uh, that is an unusable means of nitrogen, yet nitrogen is one of the most important macronutrients in plants, in really truly everything. Hmm. So there are a lot of plants that need nitrogen. There's a lot of animals that need nitrogen. However, that has to be taken from the atmosphere and fixed to something in the soil that then can be absorbed by other plants and then be eaten by other animals. I see. Yes. Um, so it's being affixed to some other chemical and then they are creating essentially what is, you know, just some bonded thing in the soil that now you have nitrogen that's actually in here. So usually it's like nitrite or nitrate, one of the two. Uh-huh. So. Okay. That's what they're doing. And... So that's what's happening. And inside of the roots of certain legumes, which are anything in the family Fabaceae. I knew that. You did. It's the, the pea, pea family. family. God, Alex, you're getting good. You're getting good. So all of those actually have a funny little node that is in its roots. Or I should say they have nodes in their roots. Mm. And that is what we're talking about here from Mr. Collier. This is a biological... Uh, symbiosis that these plants have created amongst themselves. And it, they have these little nodes that a soil bacteria gets in. It's called rhizobia. Rhizobia wow. is just a bacteria that lives in the soil. Okay. Essentially, it invades into these roots where they have created this root nodule, almost like a gall kind of thing, where a wasp kind of stings a tissue of a plant and mm -hmm. then the plant tissue like does something really weird i'm a similar thing i'm almost imagining like uh, functionally like a lentisol like as some sort of exchange point you know it might be that they get in through something like that yeah. but then the node the plant doesn't like fight back against it the plant essentially says oh okay cool i'm gonna create this little space and then those individual bacteria colonies start to fix nitrogen wow. from the air in the, it just kind of dissolves and kind of goes into the soil. So there's not like this perfect barrier of soil and air. Okay. Air goes into the soil, and that's kind of an important thing about plants. They have to have good aeration. Yeah. Oxygen and nitrogen both are in the soil. So if mm. you are a tree that grows in a space that is not very nutrient-rich, like, for instance, a dry habitat or habitat that's very wet that has a lot of leaching happening, then you tend to really want to have the ability to fix your own nitrogen, a very important element. I'm reminded of another thing from nature, Casey. Tell us. I'm just so full of rememberings. From nature? Reminderings. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of chlorophyll, uh -huh. which started in mm. ancient times as an algae That's right. that formed such an integral close relationship with plants. Uh-huh that it just became a part of the plant <clears throat> and now it's it's built in right exactly yeah they um, are they are biologically created in and of each other their dna is like put together yeah kind of but not not technically so i'm reminded of like you know the the fabaceae plants that have these little nodules yeah it's like this is like a uh where was i going with this fuck 
Yeah, uh, I, I know where you're going with it. Yeah, complete my thought. Well, Alex, as you were thinking, this is a little bit different than that, where it's actually a soil bacteria. And this gets to John's question. It is a soil bacteria that lives in the soil when the plants actually grow and put their roots down then this relationship happens they come together yeah so okay uh the difference being mm. for chlorophyll for mitochondria that is passed down i got you so it is not something that they um will capture from the air and say oh hey there's a chloroplast and they pull it up and then they keep it in the leaves it's actually something that is created in and of the plant where they have become a functional part of the plant in such a close way that they are the same thing now. I understand now. Yes. Okay. So it's a little bit different, but conceivably, Alex, it's the same process, you know? Like I, I was also thinking conceivably, Casey, in a in a million years, yeah. maybe Fabaceae plants will just be like born with this bacteria in exactly. their roots. Like I think it probably more on the realm of like 20, 30, 40 million years. Okay. Because when it first happened, they were essentially single-celled organisms, mm. and those single cells got together. So now you just had something that was kind of like one cell inside of another cell. Again, I should say, this is all theoretical. Of course, no one was there. We can't really tell for sure, but we have a pretty good idea. It was probably just one single cell got together with another single cell, and they basically said, yeah, sure, well, let's work together. And then they that's what they did. Okay. A lot easier to kind of make quick transitions that way, so to speak, rather than an entire tree that's now so much more, has literally millions, billions of years of cellular life that has got chlorophyll to be what it is now with plants. Yeah. As opposed, I should say chloroplasts. Meanwhile, uh, sorry, Alex, I know you were offended by that. So You it, said it with such a... <laughs> With such visceral, yes. or, sh- or should I say, chloroplasts? <laughs> I do. I, I'm very. I say it like the Emperor in Star Wars. Chloroplasts. Chlor- Bring me the chloroplasts. <laughs> oh, that was really good. Gosh, got shivers there. Uh, yeah. Do it. So, sorry. <laughs> no, that was it. That was totally it. Uh, oh, we're off the rails today. Yeah, we are. Uh, yes. So in this case, uh, the, in maybe several, like lots and lots of millions of years, then could potentially these plants will essentially become partners and one will somehow have a horizontal transfer of their DNA into the Mm. other. And then they will just reduce. The thing that I think would be very curious is if the plant cells somehow are pulled inside of the fungus or of the bacteria rather excuse me and then that bacteria basically grows in the soil and says you know what i need right now a little light energy wow and then it pops up its little thing and it starts starts to use its little leaves and then it goes back down when it doesn't need anymore now this is very interesting it'd be like it's fruiting body or something right flip the script why does a plant have to take in the bacteria in the fungus what if the fungus is basically just saying "Ah, you know what i need a forest i'm getting kind of low on energy so i'm just gonna make this happen that's very cool i like like this idea i wonder if anyone's ever thought about that before well I, i i will say and maybe you're setting me up for this but in nausicaa these these toxic jungles are fungal. You think so? Yeah, because they always say spores. Everything is a spore. Yes, and if you just look at the design of them too, like yeah. they're they're giant mushrooms. Yeah, um, which I've always thought is kind of interesting. It is very curious, but they kept calling them trees, and they so you, we can't say 
that they were 100 percent not oh yeah but we'll right. have to talk about that some other time alex <laughs> because it's time to end our episode. Uh, thank you, John, for your question. If you got a question for us and you want to support the podcast and get bonus audio material, bonus video material, monthly cone stickers, ad-free listening. Pretty much everything that you could ever want. That's right. Relating to trees and other related topics. Join up on Tremium. That's arbitrarypod.supercast.com. That's right. It's the best way to support the podcast. It's a lot of fun. We're very excited about it, and uh, we hope we hope you join us. We you do. can gift subscriptions, like we said. You can buy an annual subscription. You can just set it and forget it. Put those episodes right into your podcast player so you get ad-free listening anytime you want. That's it. It's all you got to do. It's very easy to sign up, so go find yourself there. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> like that's when we're both walking in the same place we say goodbye but then we just keep walking for another like 10 minutes next to each other oh you're parked down here oh yeah me too uh, yeah anyway we're uh, in silence. so thank you john for your question casey thank i my first name is john a lot of people don't know that oh that's right so every time you say thank you john i'm like alex you never call me john <laughs> if i if i get really upset at you someday i'll call you john <laughs> thank you mother <laughs> Um, Casey, uh, I had a great time with you today and thank you for watching the film. I really appreciate you. Um, you know, uh, from what you've told me, uh, this kind of media does not come easy to you. <laughs> so I really appreciate you, uh, kind of working outside your comfort zone. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I usually am sitting down. I have to strap myself into the chair. Yeah. Put those, yeah. uh, put those <laughs> exactly clockwork like orange <laughs> eye stretchers on. Yeah, exactly. So I just have my assistant come over <laughs> with some eye droppers and, uh, and you know what? I, I yeah, I, I can, I can stomach it. You're just gagging and retching and asking it them is, to please turn it off. It is not that bad. It is lovely. It's a very enjoyable time. I, I thought you would like it because you know as more integral to his films than the art style is the messaging uh, which yes. aligns perfectly with who you are it very much does specifically this one i think the messaging in this one is 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 much more concrete to yeah what I, uh, to what i i'm like yes totally please everyone see that I see think, what they're saying i think that's part of the you know part of the bluntness maybe he was like you know what i just need to like lay it out for people because there's a lot of interpretation in totoro and yes, my spirited yeah. away and but they're also like spirit things like the whole thing is a a spirit metaphor yeah you know yeah it's been a grand time it's my been friend a grand time. let's do this again hey you know what let's do it again next week okay and see the, you there and the movie we're gonna watch I think people are going to be very excited about this one. We're watching Princess Mononoke, Casey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, K- Casey. I would say, <laughs> I would say of all Studio Ghibli films, in my experience, mm-hmm. either the one that almost everybody says is their favorite yeah. is either Spirited Away or My Princess Mononoke. Really? So we've got some big ass shoe to fill, shoes to fill, my friend. All right. I don't tell me. I have no idea what this one's about. You like, know what? No clue. I don't either. You haven't seen it? I have not seen it. What? We're going to be fresh going into this. No thing. way. I, I thought th- you watched them all. No, 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 no. Huh. I have not seen. I've Whoa. seen the first like 10 minutes and I got distracted with something else. I cannot believe this. Yep. It's going to be great, Casey. Wow. We're going to do it live. Yep. We're going to do it live. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary's Triazaki. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Au
Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 